Hey, welcome back to the podcast. This is John from pureandsimplebible.com. So glad you're here. So thankful to have another great Bible study discussion, and I'm excited that you're joining us in it. If you're a first-timer, please subscribe and follow us on the various platforms, the one that you prefer to listen on. And if you are a subscriber, thank you so much for being diligent and faithful to listen to the podcast time after time. I want to give two out of the seven purposes of predictive prophecy that we studied last time as a review. We studied first that predictive prophecy distinguished the true God from false gods. Second, that predictive prophecy validated true prophets. Let's jump back into the Bible study as we consider the third and fourth purposes of predictive prophecy. Let me ask you a question. What about the time in between the prophecy made and the prophecy fulfilled? You know, what I'm thinking about, I can't tell you book, chapter, and verse, but there's the time when King Ahab, and I think it may have been, starts with the letter J, a king from Judah, they were going to go off to battle, and they called in some prophets. And the one true prophet predicted, Ahab, you won't survive this, whereas the false prophet had the horns, you know, you're going to gore your enemies like this. He had to die in order to find out whether or not the, the prophet was truly from God or not. Do you have any thoughts on that? You know, the time in between it's spoken and fulfilled. If What do you do with those prophets in the meantime who may be questionable? Well, Brother Linwood Smith used to preach a sermon that he entitled Prophet Number 401. And he, <laughs> okay. was, ta- he was talking about those 400 prophets that stood before Ahab and said, Go into battle, prof, uh, fight the battle, and prosper. Right. right. But prophet number four hundred one, this one man, he came and he said, "If you go into battle, you're going to die." And the reason the four hundred were wrong is because they were prophets of Baal, and Jehoshaphat knew this. He knew that these were not prophets of God. That's why he asked, "Is there not?" left a prophet of the Lord. Right. Okay. And so uh, he called for someone who was not serving Baal. And when this prophet number 401 came in, he came in with bad news. Ahab didn't want to hear it. He didn't like him. Mm -hmm. Every time he made a prediction, it was always negative. He didn't want to hear any negative predictions. And so uh, he paid the price by refusing to listen to God's prophet. So one reason the biblical prophets gave predictions was to demonstrate publicly that only God knows and controls the future. Predictions about the future were made known publicly. They were written down at a specific date and time, and it was done publicly to be verified by witnesses. And later on, when these predictions did come true, people would be able to see that God was indeed predicting and controlling the future. And this was the purpose of predictive prophecy and writing it down. So that's why we had writing prophets to write down these predictions of the future so that when they did come to pass, it would verify Mm, mm. that the prophet was a true prophet and that God was in control all along. Right. 
So if I was to recap what we just discussed, the, the first two things. First, we talked about how predictive prophecy distinguishes a true God from false gods. We've also looked at a reason about how predictive prophecy validates a prophet by spelling out the right and the wrong way that uh, one speaks in the name of God and, and the, how it comes through through their prediction. I'm hoping that you could maybe take us into the third one. This, uh, What's the another reason that we would consider predictive prophecy? Okay, the reason we need or needed predictive prophecy is number three, predictive prophecy verified other predictions of the future. Okay, what does that mean? Okay, predictions were given in sort of a scientific way, so to speak, or right. they were given in a logical way. Okay. Here's what I mean by that. In books like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Zechariah, the prophets would make a prediction about some event that was going to happen in their own lifetime, maybe like two years from now or 10 years from now. Okay. And when these predictions came true, the prophet became famous for being a true prophet. He could truly predict the future. Okay. And this enabled the prophet to now make a prediction of a far-off distant event at some unknown time or some unspecified time way into the future. Okay, so because they have made a prediction that was substantiated, it came true within the lifetime of their audience, they could then say something that's going to be beyond the lifetime of their audience, and the audience can believe them because they've known it to be true. That's right. People can believe the far away prediction because this man has already demonstrated he is a true prophet of God. Okay. Do you have any examples to substantiate that? Sure. Let me take Isaiah as an example. Early in the book of Isaiah, he predicted things that were going to happen in the very near future. Mm -hmm. In Isaiah chapter 8, for example, he predicts that Assyria is going to come uh, Assyria was going to bring destruction, and it was going to be a punishment for the sins of Judah. Hmm. Uh, let's read it, for example, here in Isaiah chapter 8, verses 7 and 8. Go ahead and read that. Okay, verse 7. Now, therefore, behold, the Lord brings up over them the waters of the river, strong and mighty. The king of Assyria in all his glory, he will go over, uh, he will go up over all his channels and go over all his banks. He will pass through Judah. He will overflow and pass over. He will reach up to the neck, and the stretching out of his wings will fill the breadth of your land, O Emmanuel. Now, when this passage says he will reach up to the neck, that means God will preserve Jerusalem. They would not be completely destroyed mm -hmm. by Assyria. It would reach up to their neck, but it would not consume their head, so to speak. Okay. Later, in Isaiah 36 and 37, we read of Assyria completely surrounding Jerusalem. It appeared that they would be totally destroyed, and yet God sent an angel who destroyed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers in one night. Uh huh. And King Sennacherib, the Assyrian king, he went home without a complete victory. And this prophecy validated 
Isaiah as a true prophet in the eyes of everyone. So okay. everybody so, knows now Isaiah is a true prophet of God. And what does that allow him to do since he's been validated? Okay, he can now make predictions of the far off future and people can believe him. Okay. For example, he can write later in Isaiah 39 that Judah will be punished in Babylon for their sins. He can write in chapters 48 and verse 28 that a Persian king named Cyrus will send the Jews back to their home and they'll rebuild their temple. And these predictions were far past the lifetime of Isaiah or anybody living at his time. But people could believe him because he had already established himself as a true prophet of God. I notice also you had Isaiah 42. That's further scriptures in this example. Okay, let me read this one. Isaiah 42, verses 8 and 9. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I declare before they spring forth, I tell you of them. What this is saying is that previous prophecies about events near at hand had been predicted, had come to pass, and now new things that were far off into the distant future were being predicted, and people could trust those far off events would come true. Okay, look at Isaiah 44. Read verses 24 through 28. Yes, sir. Verse 24 says, Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, and he who formed you from the womb, I am the Lord who makes all things, who stretches out the heavens all alone, who spreads abroad the earth by myself, who frustrates the signs of the babblers and drives diviners mad, who turns wise men backward and makes their knowledge foolishness, who confirms the word of his servant and performs the counsel of his messengers, who says to Jerusalem, you shall be inhabited to the cities of Judah. You shall be built, and I will raise up her waste places. Who says to the deep, be dry, and I will dry up your rivers. Who says to Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and he shall perform all my pleasures, saying to Jerusalem, you shall be built, and to the temple your foundation shall be laid. So here in verse 26, God said that he confirms the word of his servant. So Isaiah would make these predictions of far-off events, and God confirms the word that Isaiah would predict. He performs the counsel of his messengers. So these messengers would make these predictions, and God would perform them hmm. to confirm the truthfulness of his prophets. Okay. Uh, read, read chapter 46, verse 8 through 11. Remember this, and show yourselves men. Recall to mind, O you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man who executes my counsel from a far country. Indeed, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. So through Isaiah, God announces the people will be punished by Assyria and eventually by Babylon. Okay. This is what Isaiah is calling the former things. When Isaiah announced 
they will be released and Jerusalem will be built. This is what Isaiah is calling new things. These were astonishing prophecies. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The superpowers of Isaiah's world were Assyria and Babylon in the east and Egypt in the west. Cyrus was from Persia. Persia was unknown in the days of Isaiah. Right. To illustrate what this would be like. So Isaiah is predicting that Cyrus from this unknown Persian country, he's going to send the Jews back to their homeland. Uh-huh. Okay, that, that would be equivalent to the superpowers of today like the United States, China, and Russia. Imagine a prophet announcing that a deliverer from Liechtenstein <laughs> is going to come and set you free and send you back to your homeland. I had to look up where Liechtenstein was. I didn't know where it was on a map. So. <laughs> well, Liechtenstein <laughs> is the sixth smallest nation in the world. It has absolutely no international importance at all. That's why mm-hmm. we've never heard of it right. before. And that's similar to what Isaiah was doing. Isaiah made his prediction about an obscure place, at that time obscure, called Persia. And no one had ever heard of that little old kingdom. Isaiah wrote it down. And so later, God's people could see that first, the Lord knows, and number two, the Lord controls Mm -hmm. the future. Mm -hmm. God alone is God. Only God could do this. These are very compelling, these first three that we've talked about so far. Uh, We have four more to go, so let's jump right into the next one. What's uh, another reason why predictive prophecy works? Okay, number four. Predictive prophecy was necessary to explain the exile to later generations. And when I mean exile, I mean Judah going into Babylonian captivity. Okay. If God's prophets had not predicted the exile in Babylon, people might have concluded, you know, the gods of Babylon, they must be more powerful than the God up in heaven that mm. we follow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Look at Isaiah 36 and read verses 18 through 20. Okay. It says, Beware lest Hezekiah persuade you, saying, The Lord will deliver us. Has any one of the gods of the nations delivered its land from the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharvaim? Indeed, have they delivered Samaria from my hand? Who among all the gods of these lands have delivered their countries from my hand, that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem from my hand? So Judah was facing this problem. Maybe the gods of uh, Babylon, maybe the gods of Assyria are more powerful than the God of Israel. Right. And the Assyrians attacked Judah and Jerusalem, and they conquered most of the cities in Judah. For example, look at Isaiah 37, verse 9. The Bible says, the Rabshakeh, that's the commander of the Assyrian army. Uh The Rabshakeh sent messengers to Hezekiah, saying, Thus you shall speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah, saying, Do not let your God, in whom you trust, deceive you, Mm. saying, Jerusalem shall not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Look, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the lands by utterly destroying them, and shall you be delivered? 
Have the gods of the nations delivered those whom my fathers have destroyed, Gozan and Haran and Rezeph, and the people of Eden who are in Telassar? Where's the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, the king of the city of Sepharvaim, Hena and Iva? And so here this Rabshakeh is taunting Hezekiah and saying, our gods are more powerful than your gods. And so when Judah would go into exile, you're saying that one of the functions of predictive prophecy was to remind them that the, the things that you're seeing right now aren't because their gods are stronger. It's because God is in control. That's, that's the purpose of predictive prophecy here. God, God, is, God is allowing these other nations to conquer Judah to punish Judah for their sins. Mm. It is not an indication that the gods of Assyria and Babylon are right. greater than the God of heaven. Right, okay. As, fa- as a matter of fact, in Deuteronomy 32, God warned Israel about unfaithfulness, and he warned them that they would be punished, and there was only one thing that would keep him from totally annihilating them. Look at Deuteronomy 32 and read me 26 and 27. Yes, sir. I would have said, I will dash them to pieces. I will make the memory of them to cease from among men. Had I not feared the wrath of the enemy, lest their adversaries should misunderstand, lest they should say, our hand is high, and it is not the Lord who has done all this. So if the prophets had not warned ahead of time, if they had not given predictive prophecy about the exile in Babylon and Assyria, people would have concluded that the gods of the nations were stronger than the God of heaven. Imagine Babylon coming and leading the survivors off into captivity. They finally reach the city of Babylon, and they're in chains. They're weary from the long journey. Mm -hmm. They see the great walls of Babylon there. They're marched through the massive Ishtar Gate. And the people of Judah and Jerusalem would surely have thought like this, now we know why the Babylonians conquered us is because the gods of Babylon are bigger and more powerful than Yahweh. Mm. Mm-hmm. Now, if Judah were to conclude that, it would have been absolutely the wrong conclusion. Right. They were conquered for only one reason. They violated the covenant and the covenant curses of Deuteronomy 28 had come upon them. Mm. God had said way beforehand that he would send enemies and kick them out of their land, and he finally did what he said he would do. And it was necessary then for the predictions of Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel to be written down so that when these events occurred, the people of Israel would draw the correct conclusions. This point that we've just made about predictive prophecy needing to explain the exile to latter generations, it really kind of goes hand in hand with your next point about uh, deliverance. So exile and deliverance, two things that happen many times uh, together in the Old and the New Testament. So let's maybe consider this fifth reason, and then I'll recap what we've looked at so far. Uh, Why predictive prophecy in relation to deliverance? Okay. Predictive prophecy was necessary because deliverance takes time. Well, we're going to have to pause right there and come back next week. 
please join us as we finish up with numbers 5, 6, and 7 of Predictive Prophecy. I always want to encourage you to go to the website. Please consider the resources that are there, how they can help you share the gospel with others, grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, and draw near through his word to him. Always remember, God loves you very much, and I do too. Lord willing, see you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true, about a judge by the name of Gideon. He was a man like me and you.